Well, it's good to be back. Some of you, one of you at least, welcomed me as a stranger this morning. And I understand that. I'll, I'll forgive you for that. Um, and, and you may have felt like you got an indication. I hardly know where I'm at anymore. I stumbled against the bench up here. I, I think I remember uh, that there was a brace in the middle, but I must have forgot a little bit. <clears throat> but it's good to be back. Um, thought we'd be back before now. It seems like life keeps having its way of needing to be administered. <clears throat> In other words, there's always something to do. I've been blessed in the recent months, um, actually the recent month, by two of the ministers from this congregation at Pike Church. And Brother Vernon preached recently and brought us a message on faith. And I appreciate that. And I want to bring a few pointers, not what he brought necessarily, but I have a foundation I'd like to lay ahead of the message, you might say. And Brother Mark uh, shared a very vivid point that I haven't forgotten, and it will come out later in the message. So we'll let that happen as it will. The message titled this morning is Serving God Acceptably. Now, what is, what is uh, serving? Think of serving as something that you you. Commit yourself to that you do something out of a life of commitment. We have a lot of people in the service industry. They're committed to doing a good job for their customers, their clients. Well, one reason they do that is because they want to get more customers and more clients. Or they may be interested in that promotion, the raise, the... the, uh, the boss's approval. And you know, when that, that promotion comes or that raise comes, it's a sign that you've been serving acceptably. Well, we have an injunction in Scripture to serve acceptably and to serve God particularly. And we'll get to that a little later in the text verse. But I'd like to just say a couple things before we get there. I thought of that song, Would Men Know? You've been with Jesus. Would they buy your life and mine? Can they tell? By observing our life, we've been with Jesus. Well, that's kind of a a basic thought I want to throw out there because I want us to realize and think about that our life matters and what others experience from our life matters because it's part part of the product of serving God, how we influence others. In John, we have this verse, John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. This thought of what we are, what we do, affects all those around us. Jesus said that If you have love like you're supposed to, and that's my added uh, emphasis there, then others will know. They'll observe your life and realize that 
You are serving me. Again, deduction from my words. In Galatians 5, 6, we have this verse. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So there's the faith essential to serving God. But faith cannot be divorced from love, and love cannot be divorced from faith. I find that interesting. And there were a number of verses that I came up with to, to verify that. But to keep it condensed a little bit, I didn't put all those in. I do want to turn to Philemon. A couple of verses there that, that do speak to this point. We'll look at the last chapter of Philemon. And the first one. Beginning at verse 4. I thank my God making mention of these things. Excuse me. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith. Puts them together which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. I find it very interesting. It puts this two words, love and faith, together. And then it goes on to say that it's love for Jesus Christ and the saints. And you cannot divorce those two either. If you love God, you will love the saints. If you're not loving the saints, there's something wrong and, and there's a breach in that relationship with you and, and Jesus. And so they're inseparable, really. Love for, for Jesus and for each other. And I like the way it says for, in verse 6, it says that the communication or the outworking or the... the um, Exercising communication there has the idea of well, that word communication is used sometimes in scripture as it relates to giving money or doing good to other people. Often it's, it's a giving of something. And this situation is kind of the same idea. It's, it's the way you, you don't, not necessarily what you say, but what your life says about your faith, that it may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you by Christ Jesus. So in other words, the characteristics of Christ in operation in your life will reveal themselves and tell other people about your faith, which is evidenced by your love. And your love is actually what I just talked about, is the realities of Christ being displayed in the way you live. <clears throat> and I have this little note here that I want us to think about and take with us, and that is this. Love is an action word. Love is not just an emotion. Love is not something that we, we, we kind of categorize of. It's a feeling or it's, it's, it's a virtue that is just out there. And, and, but love actually demonstrates that virtue. It demonstrates that, that emotion, that feeling. It all goes together. I don't, I don't know. Uh, another word for love is uh, well another way to define love is that it's, it's something that you choose 
to live out. It's something that you, you elect to do. And so is it possible that you can know that you should love so you go through the actions of love, but you don't really have the emotion and feeling of love? There may be some of that. There may be times when you don't really have that really gushy, emotional, wonderful feeling about somebody because of the way they've treated you. But because you're in Christ and you know that he says love in spite of the way you're treated, that you choose to love and, and show kindness, whatever. But I want to tell you something. If you do, if you're obedient to that, the feelings will come. And there's another word for that that we'll get into in a little bit. Hebrews 11, we can turn to that. A number of verses here I want us to look at. But in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There again, loving God and have, exercising faith in God is a choice, it's a decision. It takes effort. It says the word diligently comes in here, and we don't think of diligently uh, diligence as something that we apply or that we, we have to do when it comes to just a, a mindset about something. It says here he's a rewarder. And I like to just say this. I mentioned earlier we, we like promotions and we like our raises. It says God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the more we, we diligently involve ourselves in obedience to his, his word, of his commands, of his desires for us to live out his virtues, there's a reward for that. We do get promoted. It says that it happens to those who are diligently seeking him. And so I want to challenge us this morning to think about that the Christian life is not an automatic except Jesus, he comes into your life, you experience the grace of God, and you just, you just automatically are in this mode of Christianity and things are just going to click. We are, uh, we are a creation of God designed to be able to function that way, but we have an enemy uh, and we have a fallen nature to cope with. And we don't know enough. And so there's a continual need for growing in knowledge. And this knowledge is not just knowing about God, but knowing the reality of experiencing what he can do in our life. And we go from glory to glory, Scripture says. We obey, we experience the rewards, and, and God just opens up more for us. The more we know, the more we, we seek after, the more experience we can have, and the rewards just get greater. But it takes effort on our part. It takes a determination. It, it, it takes a, I want to do this attitude. Now in Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 8, I'd like to read through verse 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, 
He sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Especially notice verse 10, for he looked for a city which had foundation, whose whose builder and maker is God. Abraham didn't understand all God had in mind, but he knew one thing for sure. And that was that there was a goal in his mind, in his life, to to attain, obtain, and attain to the future realities of God in the future. And he called that a city. And I believe it is. It's the holy city. It's heaven. Then in verse um, 16, dropping down a few verses, it says, But now now they... Actually, it it was referring to this people of faith. Maybe we look back and just notice uh, it talks about Abel. It talks about Enoch. It talks about Noah. And it talks about Abraham. It talks about Sarah in there too. And all these, it says, they they experienced this need to have faith in God and, and to follow God in faith. And in verse 16, it says, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And I just want us to to realize that that city has been prepared for each one of us. But we won't obtain it without faith, without a diligent determination to believe God and receive what he has for us and put forth the effort. To experience that reality. And so now we get to our text verse over in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 28. I was reading through Hebrews um, one day and, and I got chapter, chapter 12. This is one of my favorite chapters. And I thought about just exclusively looking at, at chapter 12 today. But there's other things I'd like to bring in. So... We're going to just touch it. But what really stood out to me that day when I was reading was verse 28. And it says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And notice it, it talks about us receiving that kingdom. Wherefore, we receiving. That word receiving, I'd like to say... It is the word that describes faith. It is the word that denotes that whole program of believing in God and being diligent. That is what that word receiving is indicating. It's, it's holding that forth. Is that idea of believing God and putting forth the diligent effort to get a hold of it and, and proclaim and procure it for ourselves. And so, wherefore, we receiving, having that faith, we receive a kingdom in our minds and in, our, in the promise of God. And it is when we, exp- and, and when I say kingdom, I want to I clarify here. This is not just heaven. But that kingdom is the heavenly kingdom. It's, it's the reign of Christ here on earth. We are part of that new kingdom when we accept by faith the, the, the uh, preparations of salvation by Christ. <clears throat> And so there are four aspects of this verse that I want us to, to look at specifically in the message. So I guess you might say these are the points of the message. But I'm going to plan to look at them somewhat in reverse. I've already talked a little bit about receiving. And so that is the, the first point. 
And that goes back to some of my opening comments about faith. Faith and love are part, are, are one, are two parts of one. <clears throat> and our love for God will be demonstrated by the way we carry out, the way we, way we perceive and respect the rest of what this verse is talking about. So our response to a holy God should be reverence and godly fear, which will cause us to serve God acceptably. And that can only be done successfully if we have grace, which is the result of faith. And that's the outline for the message. First of all, in that verse, the last part of verse 28, the last, well, actually, I didn't read verse 29. And it's actually part of the last sentence of, of that chapter, chapter 12 in Hebrews. It says, well, I'm going to read it again and, and give the whole. Wherefore, we receiving, faith, uh, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. Now, that last verse refers back to what was written prior in this chapter, where it talks about when God came down to Mount Sinai to give the law. And Moses was interacting with God, and God showed himself to the children of Israel in his power and his might and his, his dread, actually. The mountain burned. It was on fire. And it says that if an animal touched the mountain, they had to, to throw a dart and kill it because it had, it had trespassed God's holiness. And any man that didn't um, take his place properly was considered the same uh, in the same judgment. And so God demonstrated his power and, and his sovereignty with a, in a way that brought tremendous fear on the people. So much to the point, they told Moses, Moses, get us out of here. This is getting too close to God. We can't handle this. He said, you talk to God for us and keep us away so we don't get so close to the reality of, of God and, and, and his attitude toward man that isn't right with him. In Isaiah 66, 15, it says, for behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Actually, I think that's a prophecy that hasn't completely been fulfilled. I believe there's a time coming that when the earth is burning, it will be a result of this, this fury that God releases. Now, that phrase, it says God is a consuming fire. What does that say about God? What does that say about how we need to think about God? Well, I have a little phrase here that I think may, maybe sums it up. Holiness will not tolerate unholiness. God's holy. And he will not tolerate unholiness. And the world is full of unholiness. And those that reject God now will face that fury and that fire. That's what it's saying. There's a day coming when he will render anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. The prophets have told us 
And Daniel and, and uh, John in Revelation has has opened up the reality that there's a time coming when and Peter writes about this, about the earth being on fire and <clears throat> destruction that comes because of it. Actually, in 2 Thessalonians verse, verses 7 through 10, we have another passage that actually elaborates on this. <clears throat> and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall reveal from heaven with his holy, his mighty angels. Let me, let me read that again. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired of all them that believe in that day. Now, if you're following, you notice I skipped the parentheses. And I did it on purpose because I didn't want to lose the thought. And I'm going to bring it back and stick it in because it's important. But he talks about those that admire, uh, Jesus will be uh, accepted by those who admire him and those who are experienced his power and his glory. And it says uh, they'll be experiencing all this in that day when Christ comes. And then it says, because our testimony among you was believed. You see, Paul lived out his faith. He communicated his faith and others experienced, accepted it and experienced it. And he says, and you are going to be part of those that are admiring God and experiencing the blessing and will escape the fire and the damnation. Now, I found this, this little parenthesis interesting. It says, because of our testimony among you was believed. How important is our testimony? What does God need us to give a testimony for? In other words... What's my life saying to those around me that need to hear this gospel message? Are they getting the word? Are they, are they getting the testimony? Are they getting it clear? Are they getting it pure? Are they confused by what they see or hear? It's a challenge. It's a challenge to me. I noticed in Psalm 126, several verses that were interesting to me. It says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. In other words, when he released Israel, the children of Israel from captivity, it was so good. They, it was like they were, having, they were in a dream. They didn't know if they might wake up. <clears throat> then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord had done great things for them. Oh, that was the testimony. The heathen noticed that they were happy that they'd been, that they'd been returned from their captivity. And then verse 3 says, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. I have a question for us this morning. I thought about if time would permit, and I, uh, we'll see. But... Giving you the opportunity 
to share what good things the Lord has done for you. To give you opportunity to put words to your experience, which actually your experience is your testimony, but you could put words to it. What's happening in your life? Is there a testimony that, that's obvious that others are seeing that you are living a life that expresses the fact that God has been good to you? He has released you from destruction. He has saved you from sin. Can people around you tell that? Do they know why you have a smile on your face? Now, the smile on your face, the joy of the Lord can be the testimony. But often it opens the door for a better, a more complete testimony so that they can actually find the way to have it themselves. And that's really what God wants. If we're serving God acceptably, actually, that should be happening. And again, I'm not preaching to you this morning saying, now I've got this all accomplished, I've always done it right. But I've been challenged by this reality and I want to share it with you because I think together we need to grow in this. I'll take you to another situation in the Old Testament. I want to just uh, look at some verses in 1 Samuel 12. <clears throat> kind of bring some clarity to this thought. Beginning at verse 20. Now I'm going to give you a background before I read. Um, Samuel had anointed Saul to be king. And then the people came to realize that they had sinned before God in asking for a king. And they asked Samuel to plead their case before God to forgive them. And that's where we enter in here. It says, And Samuel, verse 20, And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not. Ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. I just want that challenge to be to us. We haven't lived perfectly. We made mistakes. We, we pro Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. But I regret not taking some opportunities that could have been scored better on the Lord's account. And so I take courage from this. He says, yes, you didn't understand what you were doing. Possibly it wasn't right. It wasn't what God's will was, but we're here now. And so determine to serve God acceptably. That's my words taken from our text. <clears throat> Again, he says, fear not. Ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things. Vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. I just want to pause there just to think about what, what he said. <clears throat> this has been a challenge to me over the years, and I still feel somewhat condemned in that I could do better. But he says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in not ceasing in ceasing to pray for you. Have you ever thought about that God needs you to be praying for your 
brothers and sisters? And if you don't, it's pretty serious. Do we pray enough for each other? Samuel said that. I believe he meant it. But then I noticed what he said next. And this is where I'd like to take some instruction from. He says, but I will teach you the good and right way. Now, notice what he says in verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. Now, remember I mentioned that... uh, we have a tremendous amount of testimony material. God has done great things for us. But are we sharing it? Do we actually think about it? Do we rejoice in it? Here he says, fear, only fear God and serve him in truth. That word, that, that thought of in truth, I'd like to break it down just a little bit by saying this way. In truth means that we will be in sync with the realities of God's character. And of course, that means that we'll be living according to Christ. We'll be living according to his example, his virtue, the realities of who he is by his grace at work in our lives. I think that's all included in that word in truth. Sincere, giving it all. Because here he says, with all your heart, not just half-heartedly. That's not in truth. That's not consistent with the whole reality of what God wants in our serving him. Now I want to back up and just say a couple things about a phrase that I noticed uh, in verse 21. He says, and turn you not aside, for then should ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. I had to think about a challenge in my life. And that is, um, as it relates to the technology that's at our fingertips, I've had a struggle with how to relate to all the information that's out there. Now, we have accountability of that we agree on, and I think Mark maybe forgot to mention this morning. Just now don't know. It is this morning for that, I guess. But we've agreed to be accountable to each other. And I discover when I come to my accountability partner each time, I'm, I'm faced with the same thought. I could do better in managing my time. It's not that I am involved in unholy pursuits, or things that are immoral. But I have this, this ravenous appetite for information. I kind of like to know what's going on in the world. I like to know what people are thinking. I, I just like to know what's going on around me. And that's not all wrong. But here's what I've noticed. There's times when I'm out working and I'll be thinking about, boy, it'd be nice to go in and have supper and sit down and relax. And you know what I think about next? And turn on the computer. And I've been condemned in my heart about that. Why isn't the first thought, I want to get get God's word open and know more about God? Now, it's not just the computer, and it's not just just what I've talked about. It can be those 
inappropriate things that actually do get a hold of us. They can take the place of our, our hunger and thirst for God. They can diminish our diligence in seeking God. And I thought about that when I read this verse, that if you turn aside, then you'll go after vain things or empty things. If you go after empty things, there's no profit. And then it uses the word vain again, emptiness. And I've been challenged and I've been trying to work on that in my life and exercise myself in it. But I want to say this, it's not just the internet. It's always been a problem. It could be that novel that you've been reading that, that, that you have more hunger for than you do the Word of God. It can be uh, the pursuit of so many other things. Maybe it's a hobby. Are these things wrong? Not necessarily. Some of them can be, some of them aren't. But those pursuits that get our attention, that, that we, we use to fill the void that God has put in there to have us to seek Him and to come t- toward Him. Let's be careful that we, we follow faith diligently toward God. And notice these things that are actually beginning to, to com, uh, uh, compete and maybe cause us to compromise our diligence toward faith and love of God. Well... <clears throat> I said I had a, an outline, and I'm finally to the first point, so it's going to be pretty quick. The first part of that outline, well, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I have, I've already covered the first point. God is coming fire. I want us to look now at, at the responsibility to reverence and godly fear. In, first, in Romans chapter 13, 7, it says, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Wow. What does that mean? That means that we actually demonstrate our attitude toward God by the way we demonstrate our attitude toward others. He says, give honor to whom honor. There are people in honorable positions and honorable situations that need to receive our honor. In other words, if there's, if there's a banquet and we've been invited, it's inappropriate to go in your, your work clothes or your shabby, whatever, you, you know, you, you should shower, clean up, and, and go respectably. That's showing honor. And, and there's many ways that we actually uh, show honor by the way we talk and, and, and reference things, by the way we uh, expose ourselves or, or present ourselves. And that's one reason that I I think in terms of coming to church, we're coming to church to worship a God who's worthy of more than I can render in terms of respect and honor. And the way I relate to people actually demonstrates my attitude toward God. If I have a a sloppy attitude toward people, I don't care what they think of me. Attitude, that actually comes from neglecting our attitude toward God to honor Him properly. It says here to honor those who deserve honor and respect for those who deserve, deserve, that, deserve that. In Mark chapter 12 or 17, Jesus answered said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. 
and they marveled at him. Now, this is talking about taxes, but he was saying, render to those who it's, and, and it, it uh, I think, further explains that verse, honor to whom honor is, is uh, let's see, which verse? Yeah, render therefore to all their dues, tribute, that's money, and then it says custom, there's things that are customarily appropriate in such situations, fear to whom fear or uh, respect, and then honor to whom honor. And so we actually are giving a testimony of attitude toward God by the way we, at, we treat other people, whether it's brothers and sisters or whether it's people in the world, we need to be respectful and honorable in our, in our uh, way we deal with and, and handle those situations. I found it interesting, Malachi chapter 1, verse 8, it says, And if ye offer the blind, uh, and if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? God had asked for the very best. He said, When you come to me and, and want a relationship to be, um, and, and this is my words, bring the sacrifice to me to enhance our relationship. I want your best. I want the best you've got, the best you can offer. And, he, and here he's saying, oh, what about when you bring me the, the sick uh, or the lame? He said, is it not evil? And then he, then he says something I think is very interesting and kind of uh, supports what I said earlier about honoring and respecting those in, in society in general. It says, offer it now, the blind or the sick. To thy governor, the civil leader, will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? And so God is throwing out the challenge. There, there are people that if you show disrespect for them, are they going to appreciate you for that? So what's wrong if I'm expecting you to honor me with your best? That is the question and the challenge. In Exodus 19.22, he says, Let the priest also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves. And that word sanctify has the idea of to proclaim, uh, to, to dedicate one to the holiness of God. Uh, respecting the, the, the holiness of God, not to defile that um, perspective. To sanctify themselves, lest, and then it goes on to say there's a problem if you don't, lest the Lord break forth upon them. I'm not sure what all that means. But in Exodus 31, 13, it says, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. <clears throat> and God sanctifies us as we sanctify him. And that word sanctify is to give him the hallowed reverence that he deserves. And I have um, a verse here from the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now that word holy is spelled different than, than, than H-O-L-Y. It's completely is what it means. Holy. And I pray, God, your whole, whole that word uh, verifies what we're talking about, your whole spirit and soul and body 
be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And talk, it's talking about sanctifying. And so our, our spirit needs to be sanctified. Our soul needs to be sanctified. And our body needs to demonstrate that sanctification, that attitude toward God's holiness. Now I'd like to just read a few verses from Hebrews chapter 10 as it relates to how that works among ourselves. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful to promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. There are all kinds of ways that we exhort, challenge, encourage each other. Now I'd like to go to the next phrase. The phrase that in our text was... There we go. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably. And uh, uh, part of the problem is I'm going through this backwards, so i got to get this, these steps correctly. And so the idea of grace is the last point. Grace, uh, in uh, first, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and following, it says this, Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or appropriate, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you to all toward each other aboundeth. Faith and love. Do you see the connection? They both show up in this verse. Our faith groweth exceedingly. Love shows up. And it says here it abounds. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Going on, it says, which is a manifest, a manifest token of the righteous, righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory, from the glory of his power. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired of all them that believe. We had those verses earlier. This is the, the opposite of grace. Now let's, let's look at uh, verse 11, um, <clears throat> continuing in this passage. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the, and the work of faith with power. That's grace. Filling us with his good pleasure and his goodness and the work that our that, uh, of faith with power. In other words, an effective faith that is able to accomplish what God desires, designed. In 2 Corinthians 3, 5, it says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency, the ability to, to, to experience God's design and, and will for our life is through His power. 
And we call that grace. That is grace. And so it says, our, but our sufficiency is of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Now our God, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and have given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, through grace, comfort your hearts, establish you in every good, good word and work. It's diligent reality that's showing itself as we are serving God acceptably. These things will happen. In Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And so as we, as we diligently seek God by faith and want him to, uh, to be the focus of our love, he returns the, the grace, the power, and actually the want to, to do things his way. And he gives us, he gives us information and knowledge to know what he wants. In Colossians 1, 9, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so these are things that come our way by the power and blessing of God as we reach out in faith. You know, I've said it before. You may have heard me say this before, that grace and faith have an interesting connection. If you want grace, it's like... The echo from across the canyon. If you yell out there and say something, that's faith. And what comes back is grace. You ask for it, you get it. You don't, ask, you don't say something, you don't hear an echo. With God, if you, you put your faith and you seek God, it'll come. It's a promise. But if you don't have faith, don't expect much grace. I didn't say all grace. God is graceful, gracious. And, and we get some of that, but mostly we get his mercy upon us because that's what we don't deserve that we get anyway. Grace is actually a response of God generally because of our faith in him. And when we have those, that, that reality of his knowledge and, and the spirit at work, bringing us to understand spiritual things, we'll probably not have so much problem of, of redeeming the time properly. In Ephesians 5, 16, says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. The Spirit helps us know how to respond and what to do and, and how to use our time wisely if we're diligently seeking Him. The grace comes our way. In Hebrews 13, 20, it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. That connection with him. That's how this all can come our way. It's the lifeline of this grace and blessing. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I'll take you for our concluding verse to to, um, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, right attitude toward God. Keep his commandments, obey him, for this is the whole duty of man. May God add his blessing to our lives as we continue to seek him. My apologies for not giving you
and, and I'm not necessarily apologetic, but I would like to have had the time for testimony. But, you know, I'd like for you all to engage in that after church with each other. Let's have a song.